How are human pathogens impacted by climate change? And did the U.S. just pass another climate spending bill? Welcome to the Climate Recap from the Becosphere Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and U.S.-based climate news. I'm Becky Hogue, a science writer. Today is Thursday, August 11th. Let's jump right into the news you need to start your day. Let's start with some extreme weather events. The heat wave in China continues to drag on, with temperatures expected to exceed 104 degrees Fahrenheit or 40 degrees Celsius in some parts of the lower part of the Yangtze River. Meanwhile, parts of South Korea, including Seoul, saw deadly rainfall on Monday and Tuesday, killing at least eight people. The capital saw the most rain it's seen since 1904, about 15 inches or 381.5 millimeters, according to the Korea Meteorological Administration. And in Europe, southeastern England has entered another heat wave Tuesday, while it's also in the worst drought it's seen in half a century, starting practically when 2022 started. Temperatures are expected to reach into the mid-90s degrees Fahrenheit or mid-30s degrees Celsius, and the UK has put that part of the country on a level 3 heat health alert. The heat wave is expected to continue through the rest of the week. About half of Europe fell into a drought by mid-July. The worst-hit countries whose temperatures have reached the mid-110s degree Fahrenheit or mid-40s degree Celsius in the last two weeks are France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. This is the area's fourth heat wave this year. The Alps glaciers are seeing the fastest melting rate in 60 years. It has experienced two early summer heat waves in a row split by a dry winter. Zermatt, Switzerland saw temperatures 10 degrees Celsius warmer than average last month. Norway's water supply is so low this year that it might cut hydropower off soon to the UK. The energy goes through a subsea interconnector cable running beneath the North Sea. It's bad news for the UK, which is already experiencing super high energy prices from supply crunches from the Russian war and greedy fossil fuel companies. Speaking of fossil fuels, that will likely take the slack up if hydropower energy goes away. Time for a climate study. Climate change has already worsened more than half of the human diseases caused by pathogens, according to a new exhaustive study published in the journal Nature Climate Change. The researchers combed through over 7,000 peer-reviewed studies, looking at all the ways the top 10 main greenhouse gases could affect the environment and see if any of those impacts changed the severity of 375 pathogens. They found 1,006 unique pathways where climate hazards could impact the diseases, and they determined that 58% of those forms of human disease were exacerbated by climate effects, and 16% were diminished by climate change impacts. Some diseases aggravated by climate change include Zika, malaria, dengue, and even COVID. I still refuse to talk about the diseases potentially being thawed from glaciers, by the way. That kind of stuff gives me a doomer headspace, so I'm not going there. We have quite a few climate victories today. India's lower parliament passed an energy conservation bill Tuesday to adopt clean energy faster and force industrial polluters to pay a price for carbon emissions. Wow, another top polluter making a move. The bill will create a minimum requirement for wind and solar use for corporations and residential buildings. It would also give clean energy users carbon-saving certificates to be sold or traded, so basically a carbon credit scheme, and adds new energy efficiency requirements for residential buildings. Residential buildings make up for about a quarter of the country's energy supply. 
We'll hopefully know more as it continues to move through the law passing process. Next up, the upper parliament. India has also stopped companies from being able to export carbon credits until it meets its climate and clean energy goals. This will probably move the domestic change faster. It can be hard to keep up with the environmental impacts of every grocery store purchase, but what if there were labels to tell you exactly what decisions would be best? This is the goal of a new Oxford study that scored 57,000 foods and drinks in UK and Ireland supermarkets. The researchers looked at how the food is grown, processed, stored, and transported, looking for greenhouse gas emissions and environmental harm. They developed an algorithm to calculate an eco-score. The catering firm Compass Group began working with the team in January. This is another study that confirms that the best way by far to reduce your environmental impact via consumer decisions at the grocery store is to reduce your meat intake, particularly red meat like beef and lamb. It also showed that choosing veggie patties instead of beef patties is a better way to go for the environment. Biden just signed an important law on Tuesday that slid under the radar. The Chips and Science Act will direct about a quarter of its funding, $67 billion, towards clean energy growth and low-carbon technology research and development, according to the energy think tank RMI. It's basically the largest climate bill Congress has passed until it hopefully passes the Inflation Reduction Act tomorrow, which I have some more information on that I'll give you in a sec. Between CHIPS, IRA, and the infrastructure bill, we'll see clean energy spending triple this decade compared to last decade. How the CHIPS Act will be used will depend on how agencies are allowed to use it according to Congress, though, and the agencies will have to continue to go back to Congress for approval. The CHIPS Act has mostly been known for bringing chip manufacturing back to the U.S., which also plays into the clean energy transition because electric vehicles need a steady chip supply. Time for a few climate fails. Kentucky's long history of coal and mountaintop removal likely increased the chances of the deadly flash flooding it just experienced. Mountaintop removal is when coal companies use explosives to clear forests and scrape soil to access underlying coal seams. Scientists have warned for years that this process in particular would make the area more likely to experience flash flooding and landslides. This is because vegetation is needed to absorb water and keep the soil intact. Speaking of coal, at least six coal plants in the U.S. have delayed their closure due to the energy crunch and seeing clean energy take a hit from supply chains and little support so far. Many were originally set to close in 2024 and now might close in 2025 or 2026. All right, there are some more details from the inflation reduction bill that I want to share to finish off today's episode. The bill boosts clean energy tax credits if the employer pays a union wage, and even more if you're in an energy economy to target fossil fuel communities, are in an environmental justice community, or use American-made parts. It also gives a tax credit for installing heat pumps and other electrification or energy-efficient changes. The bill subsidizes carbon capture and storage, paying the facilities $80 a ton if it gets stored into the ground, and $60 a ton if it uses CO2 for something else, like creating carbonated water or shooting it into the ground for oil exploration. So this could be used for good or evil. It also subsidizes direct air capture at $180 per ton of carbon that gets stored in the ground. This technology is not close to being available to use the credits yet, but the credits might prove its inspiration to increase research in the field. On the fossil fuel side of things, again, most analysis say that the bill will still lower emissions to around 40% compared to 2005 levels by 2030, even taking into account the pro-fossil fuel provisions in the bill. 
granted some studies, like a cost-benefit analysis from the Climate Justice Alliance, concluded the bill will do more harm than good, so we'll have to see. But one big reason why many say that it will do more good than harm is because the bill raises the royalty rate of extraction, meaning that you have to pay more money to use the land to extract oil than before. This should drop the demand for new oil leases because companies won't want to pay as much. Additionally, while there is an agreement that says that for every federal plot offered for wind and solar growth, there must also be some land offered for oil and gas production, this is not a one-to-one ratio. Under the law, the government must only offer these leases to the oil companies. This could mean that things like the social cost of carbon, which Biden still has the ability to utilize, or pollution standards could make many of these proposed projects unavailable to proceed. I also thought it was good that Robinson Mayer in the KQED forum episode that I am getting this information from noted that fossil fuel companies already have a lot of federal lands that they're just sitting on and not producing on. This is not great, but it does mean that just because the land is sold, it doesn't automatically mean more emissions. This bill will not just put us in a new playing field, but it can also accelerate us to get the rest of the way to Biden's goal of 50% by 2030. This is because it makes complying with energy efficiency and clean energy regulations easier and cheaper to do. So it itself gets us about two-thirds of the way there, but it makes the last third easier. And that was your climate recap for Thursday, August 11th. If you like the work I do, please follow this podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and consider checking out the Beckosphere Climate Corner YouTube channel. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.